Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Keith. And I haven't actually said this much, but the sermon series that we're teaching is He Is. And I wanted to talk about who He is during this time. And so we started in the first week by talking about He is the forgotten sacrifice, Christ I mean. That we celebrate, and rightfully so, the fact that Easter, at Easter He resurrected, and that He now sits at the right hand of God making intercession on our behalf. We should celebrate that. That is the greatest of all miracles. The Bible said without His resurrection we would still be in our sin. But there was another sacrifice that we often forget, and that's the sacrifice that is His birth. We celebrate it, but don't acknowledge it or see it for the sacrifice that it was, that He was born into the filth of humanity so that we could be born into heaven. Amen? And so we started talking about that, and then we moved to this cosmic declaration that God made on Christmas through His Son, Jesus, that He declared war on the enemy. And last week we talked about how He fulfilled those promises. The promises specifically coming out of Genesis 3.15. That He fulfilled those promises. And today I'm going to do a uh, teaching. I hate to call mine sermons because I feel like pastors and preachers preach sermons. I'm just not really that good at it, so I like teaching better. But I'm going to do a a teaching today called The One. This is going to be as simple as I know how to make it. Because it doesn't need to be difficult to understand that Jesus Christ died, came here and died for us. And that it all started 2,000 years ago in a manger. And so I'm going to read from Luke the story of Christmas. Luke is the most complete and detailed account of the singular account of the birth of Jesus in your Bible. And Luke specifically wrote third hand, he wasn't there, but investigated, found all these details and placed them in the book that we know as the gospel so that we could have an understanding of who Jesus was. And so very simply he says this, Now in those days a decree went out, this is chapter 2. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census was taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of Bethlehem, which is called, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, There has been born for you a Savior, who is the Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace amongst men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherd began saying to one another, 
Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondered them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Amen. Now, from front to back, that's, the, like I said, the most complete account of Jesus' birth. And I have heard I don't, many Christmas sermons from this passage. Everything from the song that the angels sang to the fact that Mary pondered these things in her heart and what those things would be, and that Jesus Christ was born Lord and Savior, that He was laid low in a manger, that He came as a pauper but was really a king. All of these things are declared in this text. And I mean, we, could, we could essentially talk about these 20 verses for all of 2020 and never, never use all the information that this text has to offer. But there's a reason beyond even this text that I read it to you. Because I want to prove something to you today. I want to prove to you that Jesus is the Christ. He is the one. Because let's face it, any child can be born anywhere. But in Matthew 2, I'm sorry, 1 verse 22, it says this, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Everything that you just heard, every word I just spoke, verses 1 through 20 of chapter 2, Matthew says happened because Matthew was speaking to Jews so that they would know who the Christ was when the Christ showed up. He said to the Jews, everything that happened happened for one purpose. Everything prophecy that was filled was fulfilled for one purpose every action that was taken on jesus's birthday and, and after that all the way in up to including today was spoken all for one and is true of him for one reason because the lord spoke through the prophets to show you that he is the one jesus is the one people say there's a hundred ways to get to heaven. I'll tell you that's not true. Jesus is the one. There's only one that God sent to redeem the world. The Bible says that He loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son. His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That means He is the one. And Matthew says everything written herein, after just describing His rendition of the birth of Jesus, says, was written so that what was said by the Lord through the prophets would be known to be true. And so I want to talk to you today about how you can know that Jesus is the one. Without getting too theological, without getting too deep, I just want to explain to you what the prophets said. Because there's, some, there's something like 300 and... I can't remember the exact number of prophecies regarding the life, ministry, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he fulfilled every one of them perfectly. Did you hear what I said? I'm not going to get into the statistical analysis of how significant that is and how it's not possible if all of those things are true. He could be anything but the Christ. But I will tell you that he is the Christ. We were, he was born into the world the way he was born into the world to prove that what the Lord said through the prophets was and is true. Everybody okay? And so I want to talk to you today about how the prophet that spoke of him most often described him and how the prophet that spoke of him most often would show us who he was so that when we finally come face to face with him, 
And some of us have already had our encounter. Some of us are going to have our encounter. But all of us will have an eternal encounter. But so that when we can finally recognize who he is, we can declare you are the one to also. And so I'm going to teach today to prove that point that everything happened so that the Lord could be proven true, so that Jesus could be seen as the one from Isaiah chapter 9 today. I'm going to read 1 through 7. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he, that's capital H, God, treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And we know this is a declaration of where he came from, where Jesus on earth would have come from. Verse 2, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Verse 4, 4, 5, and 6 say 4. Essentially what that means, because all of these things... The people who walk in darkness will be see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their glad gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of heart as men rejoice when they divide the spoil because you, capital Y, shall break the yoke of their burden on the staff and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For because every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult. Which means confusion. So every boot in the confusion of battle. And cloak rolled in blood. Will be for burning fuel for the fire. Six. For because a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of His government or of His peace. On the throne of David and over His kingdom. To establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Amen. Before I start teaching verse by verse, I want you to pay attention to the last sentence in this text that I read you. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Everything that the Bible says is true over your life, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's no action that you can take that's going to make you redeemable. Jesus, in the zeal that He has, accomplished all of these things for us he is the one that accomplished all things because of his zeal not yours well you don't understand i prophesied in your name i did all of these things it doesn't matter it's not your zeal that saves you it's the zeal of god that saves you manifested in the life of jesus christ that saves you amen with all that being said there's three points i want to make today about how jesus is the one First and foremost, according to this text, Jesus is the one who releases His own from oppression. Jesus Himself is the one who releases His own from oppression. There's a suggestion here of previous bondage. In verse 4, For you shall break the yoke of their burden." And the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, is at the battle of Midian. You know what he's saying here? He said, listen, I'm trying to bring history back to your mind. I want you to think about the battle of Midian for a moment. And everybody's like, oh yeah, yeah, the battle of Midian. And most of us go, what? Let's look that up. Let me tell you what the battle of Midian, anybody heard of Gideon? Gideon and his mighty 300 men. This is the battle of Midian. He said, I'm going to break 
the person that holds the rod, I'm going to break that rod so that it can no longer break your back. Just like I did for my people in Gideon's time. It doesn't matter what they did to them. And they did some horrible things to them. They were in complete ruin and desolation because of them. God can use you. God desires to use you. God has used His Son, Jesus Christ, and placed His Spirit in you to break the oppression of the people, of His people. Amen? And what do we do? We're all, yeah, that's cool, man. That's cool, but you don't know me. You know, you're not the first person to say that. Because this is exactly what Gideon said. Could you imagine God showing up to your house and say, I got this for you? And you going, man, I, you don't know who I am. And God says, I know exactly who you are. It's the reason I'm knocking on your door, not your neighbor's door. But this is the argument that Gideon made to the Lord. He says this in 6.15 of Judges. He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. So he said, whoa, 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 you can't use me because I'm the least of these. Any of y'all ever felt like the least of these? I felt like the least of these this morning. I feel like the least of these right now. I felt like the least of these yesterday, the day before that. Unless we're talking about sinners, then I feel like maybe I'm the greatest. So it doesn't matter. Stop telling God what you can't do. More importantly, stop telling God what He can't do through you. Because it doesn't matter what, what destruction happened around you. God can use you to fix it because He sent His Son Jesus Christ to fix it and then placed His Spirit inside of you. And so it's about the one, the oppressor, the bond breaker, the chain breaker, the way maker, or whatever the song goes. It's all true. Let me tell you, someone else may be holding a staff over your life, but the God that lives in you is capable of breaking that staff and has, through His Son Jesus, broken that staff. Ooh, that's a good preacher right there. <laughs> and some of us still, myself included, from time to time goes, man, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I deal with. You don't know what happens in between my ears. You don't know the fight that I fight, the battle that I struggle, how many times I've lost the battle that I'm in. God didn't care about that with Gideon. He doesn't care about that with you. They had reason to be scared. Judges chapter 6 reads like this. Judges chapter 6, 2 through 6 says, The power of the Midians prevailed against Israel. Because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains, in the caves, in the strongholds. The enemy was so strong over their life, they hunkered down. Any of you guys ever feel like that? Like y'all... Guys, this problem's too big. I need to hunker down. I need to go hide somewhere. Make myself as small as possible. Not make any noise. For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites had come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. So they destroyed everything they had, and what they didn't destroy, they took with them. Because they were powerful enough in the physical to do it. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come in like locusts for numbers. They're, they're so innumerable, you can't even number them. But they and their camels were innumerable, and they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. Let me tell you, you have reason, we have reason, without Jesus Christ, to be scared of the oppression around us. The enemy's big, the enemy's fast, the enemy's willing to destroy everything that you have, and what he isn't willing to destroy from you, he wants to steal from you. But can I tell you, it doesn't matter if you're from the smallest or the largest village. You got the spirit of the one living God in you. 
Jesus came to be the one that delivers us from oppression. There is no enemy capable of coming against us victoriously. I'm not talking a prosperity gospel to you guys. I'm telling you that this has already happened in Christ Jesus. He came so that He might be the one, so that we might know, so that we might be in freedom, so that there would be freedom, but not just any kind of regular freedom as you would imagine it in your head, but a, a freedom you can no longer imagine. I started with verse 4. I told you I was going to teach 1 through 7 because I plan on going back to 1 through 3. So let me do that. Actually, I'm going to start with 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Anybody ever felt like they're hanging out in the darkness? Jesus is the great light in your life. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. How many of you guys could stand to have your gladness increased, your joy increased? They will be glad in your presence, and with the gladness of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. So what's God saying? He said, I'm going to send one that's going to so break the oppression over your life that you're going to know freedom like you've never known before. That you're going to harvest like you've never harvested before. You're going to be blessed like you've never been blessed before. You're going to be joyful and glad like you've never been joyful and glad before. I'm not talking crazy to y'all. I'm talking out of the Scripture and some of y'all looking at me like a cow staring at a new fence. This is the truth. And you're all, but I'm not seeing that. you got all eternity to see that. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 says that some of them never acquired it while on earth. But like I've told you before, this is the application process. There's a harvest coming. There's joy coming. There's gladness coming. There's blessing coming. And it's coming because Jesus gave you Himself and placed His Spirit inside of you. You're all, man, I just I can't find the joy. The joy is inside of you. The harvest is inside of you. The blessing is inside of you. Freedom like you've never known. And I don't know about you guys, that gets me excited. Hmm. God is good. All of these things weren't just true for Israel. They're true for us. It's true. I don't know every person's problem in here. I know most of y'all's problem in here. Because you call me all the time. Which I'm, that's okay. I'm, I'm excited about that. Because with every gripe, I know there's going to be a victory. And we'll get there together. But, but can I tell you, all of this that I just said is true over your life. I need you to stop creating this congregational understanding of blessing. And joy and harvest. And personalize it. I'm talking to you individually. I'm talking to you specifically. More importantly, God's talking to you individually and specifically. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, the one to break the oppression over your life. Both congregationally and individually. I'm struggling, Pastor Jim, I know. But you ain't the least of these because you got the greatest of these in you. You don't know the size of my problem. I don't. But with what I, what I can imagine in my finite mind, I know the size of your Jesus. And I know the size of your Jesus is capable of breaking whatever rod has been born against you. And not only can, but came here to do exactly that. To break the bond of sin in your life. To break the bond of depression in your life. To break the bond of addiction in your life. To break the bond of marital strife in your life. Of self-doubt over your life. Jesus is the one sent. So that what was spoken of the, by the Lord through the prophets might be true for you too. God, that's good. 
That's not just good preaching. That's good Bible right there. Not only, though, is he the one who delivers his people from oppression. Verse 5 says he, Jesus, is the one who brings an end to conflict. Verse 5 reads like this. For every boot, remember I said for is essentially means because, every boot of the booted warrior in the confusion of battle, it says the battle tumult, but it means the confusion of battle, and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. Imagine that. What is this a picture of? I've written it down here because I really want to get this right. This is a picture of a conqueror collecting the spoils of war and the enemy's tools for war for the sake of destroying them. You guys ever seen the old battlefield movies where after the fight's over, the victor of the field walks through and takes the weapons and essentially loots the people to ensure that they'll never be able to fight against them again? This is what he's saying. Everything that was previously formed to come against you will be destroyed forever. That there will be an end to war. And that war, the end of war will be eternal over your life. So much so, I love this, cha I love this verse, chapter 2, 4 of Isaiah. It says, And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many people. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. You know what that means? That means that they're no longer going to have any need for swords or spears. Swords and spears are going to be so irrelevant that we're going to turn them into plows. So we might have that harvest we were talking about. We're going to turn your spears into pruning hooks. So that that which shouldn't be there can be removed from there so that you can be in full blossom, so that you can bear all the fruit that you can bear. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again. Everybody say never again. Don't tell it to me, though, if you don't believe it. And never again will they learn war. I can't imagine such a time or place. I try to. I've lived my whole life. I've told you guys, my struggle is a struggle of violence. I have a violent nature. It's the, it's the sin nature in me that I, that, I, that I suppress regularly. I've spent my whole adult life preparing for violence. And the idea that one day I won't have to do that anymore, that I could beat all my guns into plowshares, Unless the government's watching this and then I don't actually own any guns. <laughs> but there will be a time when that's not the case and peace will reign. There's a, there's a verse in Isaiah chapter 11, three, four of them actually, that talks about the incredibleness of the peace that comes when conflict is destroyed. And this is speaking from an eternal perspective. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them. Ah, it's amazing. Also the cow and the bear will graze. The, their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. You know, none of these relationships naturally exist in the world. And the weaned child will put his hand in the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain. Those things that conflict naturally will no longer conflict. You know why? Because of this. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of God. Because we'll be so full of the understanding and the love and the peace of God that to be anything other than loving and peaceful would be beyond comprehension.
just as a life without comprehension is almost inconceivable now. This is the God we serve. He sent us this Jesus, the one, so that we will see an end to conflict. Jesus is the one who is also a perfect king, according to verse 6. For a child was born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Man, that's amazing. Can I tell you first, though, I want you to pay attention. Don't let verbiage in the Scripture get past you. I tell you all the time, read your Bible super slow. Listen to this. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. So why is he repeating himself, Pastor Jim? He's not repeating himself. He's telling you the two natures of God. The two natures that Jesus Christ took on to come here so that he might be the perfect king for us. It says a child is born, but a son is given. What was John 3.16 again? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son, which means he's deity. He was a child that was born, which means fully human which means he's strong enough to take care of your problem and human enough to understand it. Ah, that's We covered a lot of that in the forgotten sacrifice, but I think that's so beautiful that a God coming out of the universe, the perfect heaven, decided to spend a lifetime, even just a lifetime, in all of eternity. For me, so that he could not only take care of my sin, but be man enough to understand it. It gives me comfort because if he did it, I at least got something to aim at. Amen? He's the target. So anyway, both of these are deity. He is the perfect king because he is perfect in his humanity and his deity. And the government will rest on his shoulders, which means that he will carry all authority. He carries. Don't let me get messed up. It's not that he will carry. He carries even now all authority, all authority, all authority. I'm going to say it again. I may say it a couple more times because I get super excited when people get freaked out in and around election time. All authority, all authority. doesn't matter what happens now. Do I have a particular person I'd like to be president? Absolutely there is. But you know what? In lieu of whoever the president is, my God is still the perfect king. And kingship always trumps presidency. He's sovereign in control. He's not going to let anything happen to me that's eternal, so it doesn't matter. The only thing he asked me to do is trust that Jesus Christ is the one to trust. Ah. But he's a wonderful counselor. And being perfect king, not only is he man, not only is he fully God, not only does he carry all authority, but he is a wonderful counselor. I think we use this word too much. Wonderful. Oh, that's wonderful, man. Hey, me, I went and got a new car. That's wonderful. I got a new to me car. That's wonderful. Wonderful is so much bigger than that, though. Wonderful means glorious, exceptional, astonishing, extraordinary. Something that you can't even conceive of. That your imagination can't even grab a hold of. That's how wonderful a counselor God is. That He's such a perfect King, He's inconceivable. It's inconceivable. <laughs> you guys have seen that movie. If you haven't, you should. You can't get your mind around him, who he is, what he is, what he does, and how he loves you. And he loves you as a wonderful counselor, extraordinary and exceptional. What are the attributes of a counselor? I, th I think of a perfect counselor as we understand it. And I think of Pastor Rick. I don't know if you guys know this. Pastor Rick's our staff counselor. And he's, he's great at it. 
You know what makes him great about it? Great at it? Although he's not it in perfection, he's everything a counselor should be. But I'll tell you what I'm about to tell you. God is, Christ is in perfection. He is available, but gives individual attention. You guys ever been around somebody that's always available but never paying attention? Right? Man, me and my wife spend four or five time, four or five hours a night with each other. We do. You do? Yeah. I'm watching TV. She's playing on her phone. <laughs> or vice versa. We're available to one another, but we're not paying attention to one another. God's available and paying attention to you all the time. He's a comforter, but remains confidential. There's nothing worse, man, than telling somebody your problem. And they tell you the stuff that you need to know. Might maybe even the right stuff you need to know. But then tell everybody else all the stuff that you know. Y'all ever had a counselor that you could trust as far as you could throw them? God is not that counselor. You could trust him to be confidential. He's available. He's confidential. He knows your problem. You're not telling him anything he doesn't already know. Who's he going to share it with? He sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. Bible says once you talk to him about it, he's so confidential he forgets about it. Which, come to think about it, Pastor Rick may be do that too because he's getting a little old. <laughs> but can I tell you, just on a side note, there's been times people go in there and talk to Pastor Rick, and I'm the pastor here, right? And so I'll go and I'll be all, Pastor Rick, tell me what they are, what's, what they got going on. In his ever-gracious way, he kind of looks at me and says, well, that's not really in your business for they to come talk to you. <laughs> he doesn't say it like that. But he makes it very well known that what they said was intended to be in that room or they would have come to me. You know, you could trust God like that. He's a good listener. Christ is a good listener. And he provides unconditional love. Can I tell you there's a reason? I know I keep saying, can I tell you? I'm going to tell you. I don't know why I keep asking you the question. Sometimes the more I listen to folks, the less I want to love them. And I, I mean that sounds funny, but it's not, I don't mean that to be funny. Like they tell you just enough about them that you're all, I don't even like you. I don't even like you. <laughs> I thought I liked you for a, for a minute. And my loved ones, even if I thought, I love them. I've had a girlfriend or two in my life that I was head over heels in love with, right? And then they talk. <laughs> I mean, over several months, and you realize you don't love them. My point is that God is the perfect counselor. He's available, but gives you all of his attention. He's comforting and confidential. He's a listener. And even in his listening, his love has never waned for you. This is the perfect king that we serve. Amen? He is a mighty God. He is strong, powerful, and mighty warrior. This, this blows my mind. This is, this is not the one I struggle with the most, but it's, it's one I struggle with explaining the most you know i've got a finite mind which means i can only comprehend of so many things and i'm trying to explain to a room full of finite minds an infinite guy people are, your job ain't that hard try doing that every week explain with your with your finite mind to finite people about an infinite God and expect them to still want you around. How mighty is God? He's mighty enough to take care of you and to be capable of taking care of you. He's so mighty that He just, he just made a decision 
to breathe the sun out of his mouth. Maybe y'all didn't hear that. He made a decision to breathe the sun out of his mouth. Which is actually a small star and breathed all the other stars at the exact same moment. All the other planets, all the other comets, asteroids, and every particle of everything that's ever existed out of his own mouth. That's how powerful the God is that we serve. But he is determined to love you. He is almighty, all-powerful. Let me read Colossians chapter, chapter 1, 15-17, because I love this. He is the image, Christ is the image of the invisible God, which means whatever it is you conceive of God that is right is Jesus. He came here so we could see the image of God. We did a whole series on that earlier this year. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, which means it proves that He's God. For by Him all things were created. Did you catch that? Both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Woo! Two things. There's about a thousand things there. You could preach about there, but there's two things I want to point out today for the sake of time. One, it says this. It says, all things in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible. Jesus created everything. You're all, man, that's a lot of stuff. You have no idea. Did you know the human eye is only capable of receive, seeing about 20% of the color in the world? Which means 80% of the beauty around you, your eye can't even pick up? Imagine what it would be like if God pulled back the curtains of our earthly eyes and we could see everything for exactly what it is. You know what I think we'd see? I think we'd see spiritual warfare all around us. I think we'd see chariots aflame. I think we'd see love. In the form of Jesus. In fact, there will be a time when your fleshly eyes will be torn away. That there will be nothing invisible to you. That you will see all of those things. And I think that's incredible. But there's something even more incredible about the might of God that He created through His Son, Jesus Christ. Not just the visible and the invisible, but that He created it. <coughs> I, I, I out-talk my breath sometimes. But he created it for himself. For himself. I think about Brother Lowe over here. He's got, how many motorcycles do you own? Four motorcycles. You know why he has four motorcycles? For himself. Because he enjoys his motorcycles. You know why I have a bunch of sport coats? Because I enjoy sport coats. They're for me. You know why God created you? For himself. Because he enjoys you. If you get your head around the fact that Jesus, God, created you for himself, just so he can enjoy you, That messes me up. I picture God wanting to spend time with me. Wanting to listen to me. Wanting to love me. Wanting to get on the floor like a grandfather. Angela told you we're expecting our first grandbaby. Wanting to get on the floor like a grandfather with a grandbaby and play model trains or whatever. God built me for himself. And he built you for himself too. This is the God that we serve. This is the might of the God that we serve. That not only did he create, he created for himself. Whew. He is an eternal father.
This is the one I struggle with most. I've done a lot of men's groups in my day because I'm a dude. And so, like especially at my other church where I, where I got saved, I was running the men's ministry for a while and I did a lot of men's groups and mentoring groups and stuff like that. And when we'd get down and talk about God, I'd always ask somebody a question. Give me one word to describe your day. And I'd hear everything. I'd hear trusting. I'd hear discipline. For me, which I praise God, Angela recently found my dad. But for me, my, my word was absent. The problem with that, depending on the word you would use, is that that's the lens that you'll oftentimes see God through. But can I tell you, there's no single word that he is. He is an eternal father. He is love. He is kindness. He is nurturing. He is not forsaking. He is trustworthy. He is that unconditional love we talked about a little while ago. And through Jesus, we get to call him Abba Father, Daddy, the most intimate Can I tell you God nurtures and loves you? If you need to know anything at Christmas time, is that God proved his love for you. While you were still sinners, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. Isaiah 41 or 40 verse 11 in regards to the nurturing nature of God, it says, like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes, which is the small, small, cat, small lambs. This is the God that I want to serve, not the God that I have to serve. The God that, like a shepherd, sees a defect in his sheep does everything in his power to correct that defect. The God that ensures that no animal will come against his sheep and destroys that which would. The nurturing. This is the God that we get to serve in Christ Jesus. The one. Amen? And then finally, he is the Prince of Peace. Meaning he commands peace. He, he gives us peace vertically between he and I, he and you, him and you. Internally and horizontally. You know why so many of us stay messed up? Because we want to fix the horizontal or the internal before we get the vertical right. If we'll get the vertical piece of God right, or with God right, we'll achieve the internal piece of God. And then once you have peace, it becomes so much easier to deal and to love other people the way that Christ loves us. He commands peace. But he's never going to command that you allow him to command anything. All of these things Christ is as the one. In these, in these few verses that I've talked to you about today. is the gospel. Let me read verse 7 to you first. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So it says this at the last verse after describing all of these things that Christ will be. 
it says that he came to establish us forever. He breaks the bond of the oppressor to establish us forever. He is the perfect king to establish us forever. Everything that he does is to bring us back to where we started, which is in perfect relationship with him. In these seven verses lies a perfect picture of the gospel. Let me explain to you why. In the second part of verse 1, it says this, In earlier times, he, being God, treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. So I, I wasn't familiar with these regions. Zebulun and Naphtali. It's not, it's not, they're, they're not words or regions talked about a lot in Scripture. And so I did some studying to figure out what, what significance, because I believe everything in the Scripture has a significant purpose. What significance is these two places? And I, and it, I came to learn that Naphtali and Zebulun were from the Assyrian perspective, which was the enemies of God, the land between the border of Assyria and the Sea of Galilee, and the land between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. We know that as Israel. Why is that significant? Because before Jesus came, before the one came, he viewed you just as much an enemy as the Assyrians viewed the Israelites. But he sent his son Jesus. He said, but I'm going to send. He shall make it glorious. And by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. He's going to send someone from there. And that's exactly what he did. This is who we were. Enemies of God. Just as Israel was enemies with Assyria. But God promises on the other side of the, the Jordan, Galilee, which would have been on the other side of Jordan from their perspective. He's going to send a Savior to us. He's going to send the one to us the perfect king the breaker of oppression the end of all conflict and perfect peace to us and that's exactly what he did 